All right, we're going to talk about a subject today that might seem a little odd in church, but hang with me, all right? It is the subject of news. We're going to talk about news. Now, news is making a lot of news out there because uh, we don't even know what news is these days, right? We have very little idea what to trust, what's real news, what's fake news. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, There's a tweet this morning from our president about fake news. It's just this constant struggle with what is real, what can we trust? Now, news is supposed to be the information that people need to make rational decisions about their lives. That's what news is supposed to be. Information people need to make rational decisions about their lives. Now, that's understandable, right? We make a lot of very important choices, and we need real information in order to make those choices. Uh, We need real information in terms of who to vote for, where we're going to move, what school we're going to put our kids into, where we're going to use our finances, where we're going to invest. I mean, these are big-time decisions, and we need real information so we can make those decisions, right? But the problem is, in our world today, is we don't know what's real and what's not. There's a lot of things out there that are really calling into question the whole nature of news and journalism. Uh, In fact, uh, there's been a lot of study about the reasons why journalism and the news industry is collapsing right before our eyes. The first one is social media, right? Big fan of social media. I use it every once in a while, but a big fan of social media, having everyone have a voice and to say what's on their mind. Uh, But the problem with social media is that everyone's a newscaster. Back in my day, uh, the dark ages, when we just invented the wheel, if there was something happening in the world, you would have to dispatch a news crew with about a million dollars worth of gear. They would collect that information, take it back into the office. The editors would verify through those dial phones, they'd verify all the sources, and then hours later, it might make the news either on television or in print, but you could pretty well trust that there was a serious regimen about how that news got out. Now, we can make news sitting right here, and we could say anything we want to say right? Anything we want to say, and it's hard to digest what's real and what's not. The other problem that we have in our culture today is we've got um, marketing that uses social media and finally targets social media. So marketing is messaging specifically to you, and politicians are messaging specifically to you. So marketers want to relieve you of your money. Politicians want to relieve you of your vote. And what they're saying may or may not be absolutely true. They have a motive. So what they're saying is more message the news. We've got all kinds of stuff happening in our world today about fake news, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. But we are left with this question that Pontius Pilate actually had when he was face-to-face with Jesus Christ, and that's the question, what is truth? It's hard to sift through the messaging to try to find the truth. Pontius Pilate had the, the Roman message in his head, and he had the Jewish message in his head, and then he was standing in front of Jesus, who was giving a third message in his head. And finally, he just says, what is truth, and washes his hands. And sometimes we think he's washing his hands because he doesn't know what to do with Jesus. But I think he's washing his hands because he doesn't even know what truth is. And we can get to that point where we don't even know what truth is. And in fact, on the way to church today, uh, I heard a scientist explaining why we should take science seriously. And he was exasperated because his feeling is that our culture, which is based on Western civilization, based on truth and based on experimentation in science, we are losing our grip on the reality that science matters. And so he's he's saying we have to take science seriously. It's like, when did it happen that we have to actually be told by somebody to take science seriously? I mean, it's astounding. We have lost our grip on truth. 
There's all kinds of news out there. There's breaking news. Breaking news is what's happening right now before our eyes. And every once in a while around the house, I'll have a news channel on. And I know the breaking news theme song. And anywhere I'm in the house, it's like my radar. Ah, breaking news. What's, what's happening? I'm usually very disappointed at, at the deal there. But breaking news is what's happening right now. Um, there is hard news. Now, the hard news is supposed to be the real stuff. Hard news is real journalism that goes through real sources and vetted by editors and actually makes print or makes uh, social media or makes uh, television news, and it's the real hard news. And there's fake news, fake news. Fake news is, of course, manufactured, and it's manufactured uh, by, could be pranksters, and there's a whole art behind manufacturing fake news. Now, I'm not talking about the onion, right? The onion is like this genius sarc uh, sarcastic stuff. It's, uh, it's excellent. But there are people out there who are creating you know, forgeries, news forgeries, where they're um, you know, kind of making it sound like it's real and sourcing as though it's real, and they place it as though it's ca it came from a real source. So you have the forgers out there. You have foreign governments, famously the Russians, who are crafting fake news and fake news departments and releasing it uh, strategically. Um, there are, of course, politicians who say things that aren't true. Can you imagine that happens every once in a while? And so there are all these sources of fake news, and you don't know really what to do with it. In fact, uh, last week, there was an article in the New York Post that talked about the former FBI director, James Comey, had received a bit of information that was presented as real news. The FBI analysts discovered that it was, in fact, face, fake news sourced from Russia, Director Comey knew it was fake news, but acted on it as though it was real news because he didn't trust that Americans would know that it was fake news. Did you follow that? We live in a circus. This is a circus. We don't know what's real and what's fake. There is, of course, bad news, and this is the tough stuff, right? Some of you have had bad news. You get a call from somebody you love, and they say, I have bad news, and then your heart just drops. Maybe you're in a doctor's appointment and the doctor says, I'm sorry, I have bad news. I mean, this is just the tough stuff of life. And then thankfully, there's good news. There's good news. Good news makes life fun. Good news energizes life. Good news are the exclamation points of life that really make it exciting. For example, when you're young, I made the team. Or he asked me to the prom, right? Or I got accepted to this university, you get a little older, I'm getting married, we're having a baby, I landed that job, we're buying a house, right? There's all these bits of good news that, that we celebrate. Now, when we started the scripture, there is a phrase in there called good news in the New Testament. That word in the Greek, the original language is euangelion. And euangelion is simply the common word for good news. And so in Greek usage, somebody's coming over to the house. Hey, euangelion. Uh, hey, uh, we won a war overseas in the Roman Empire. Hey, euangelion. It's good news. Now, that word euangelion was translated in uh, Latin, in Latin scriptures, uh, to this phrase, uh, bona uh, annuntiatio. That means good message or good news. In Old English, it was translated into godspell. God is good, spell is, is news. In Middle English, that was English that was kind of you know, merged into gospel. In modern English, the translators decided not to translate the common word gospel into good news because it was considered to be a holy word. So we have the word gospel. But simply, it just means good news. It's a very common word, good news. We now call it gospel in terms of the message or the news that we have from God. Now, Christianity, at its core, is very simple. It's very simply receiving good news. 
That's what Christianity is. It's receiving the gospel. It's receiving the good news that comes from God. Very simply, that's what Christianity is. Now, a lot of us might think, well, Christianity is a religion. It's a complicated, formal religion. It was never intended to be a complicated, formal religion. It was intended to be simply receiving good news. Receiving good news. Now, I'm going to say something kind of controversial. Let's see what you do with it. (laughs) Then we'll see if this makes the internet. Christianity was intended to be good news received from within the Jewish religion. So religion can be a lot of times cultural expressions. And so the Jews had a very well-crafted tradition. They still do today. It's a tradition, nationalistic, religious culture. Christianity was intended to be good news received within that culture and received within that religion. It was not meant to become another religion. I'll just let you extrapolate that as far as you want to go, but it's really an interesting thing. When we understand that Christianity is actually the receiving of good news and not the formation of another religion, the whole world will open up to us. The whole world opens up to us. Now, there's an illustration of how this works uh, in a story that Jesus used. It's a very famous story called The Prodigal Son. I'll just give you the, the cliff notes, right? There was a man who abandoned his home and did all kinds of terrible things. When he returned home, he expected to work as a slave, but instead he was braced, embraced as a son. This is the difference between religion and receiving good news. The son did terrible things, squandered his family's wealth, was totally immoral in every way, lost every penny. He comes home in humiliation and wants to be a slave. What do I have to do to be your slave? That's religion. Instead, the father gives him good news. The father gives him good news. Now, here's how the good news comes. The father says this, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, now is alive again. He was lost and now he was found. So they celebrated. You see the two paths there? The son said, I, Father, I just deserve to be your slave. Tell me what to do. That's religion. Every single religion. You're a mess. God is holy. Here's what you have to do to work your way up to God. Here's the religious rites and ceremonies. Here are the moral codes. Here's pages of doctrine. Here's how you fall in line. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is simply receiving the good news from the Father that says, hey, I know you're coming in humility and humiliation, wanting to work your way back to my grace, but I'm telling you, here's the good news. You're my son. I love you. I embrace you. You get the full rights, the full benefits as my child. Let's celebrate. That's Christianity. That's good news. So what is this good news? What is the good news? What's the gospel, right? Um, If I were to hand out a piece of paper to all of you and a pen and I'd say, hey, you got five minutes, write out a summary of the gospel. I guarantee that most of us are, well, I guarantee that no two pieces of paper are going to look exactly the same. Now, we all have an idea of what the gospel is. Uh, You might write, um, God loves me, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Jesus died for me. Yep. He rose from the dead. You might get those elements, which is great. That's definitely part of the good news for sure. So what I want to do for our last 15 to 18 minutes together is I want us to nail the gospel. I want us to nail the gospel cold, right? Now, the gospel is seven things. And you might think, okay, well, I'm not sure I can remember all seven. And I would identify that. When I was nine years old, I could remember seven things in a row, right? 
when I was nine. When I turned 30, that uh, got down to five things in a row. I could do a list of five. Now I'm pushing almost uh, 50. I, I can't even remember where I put my keys. And I put them in the same place every day. In fact, when I go looking for my keys, I can't even remember that I went to go look for my keys. That's how bad things have gotten. So some of you are saying, hey, seven things, that's a lot. Well, we're going to make it real easy because all we're going to do is follow the order of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's all we're going to do. That's the gospel. You just follow the order of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, no pressure, but this is the fifth service of the day. Every other service nailed memorizing those seven things. All right? No pressure, but we're going to get it. Right? We're going to get this. First pillar of the gospel, go back to the very beginning of the life of Jesus, his coming, his birth, his coming. First pillar of the gospel is the coming of Christ. Now, the seven pillars of the gospel were preached in Acts chapter 2. It was the first time the gospel was preached in public, right? Acts chapter 2, Jesus just rose from the dead. He ascended to his Father. He gave the Holy Spirit, and they went out to the streets, and they preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2 that has the seven pillars of the gospel, and it starts with the coming of Christ. Acts 2.22, listen to this. There's news. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. He came as a man. You might recall at Christmas time, we celebrate this bit of news. And here's the news, the good news. In the city of David, a Savior is born to you. The coming of Christ is good news. The fact that the Son of God was a man is huge. Why? Because a lot of times we consider God to be distant, and he's angry, he's condemning, he doesn't like what he sees. And so it's almost like we perceive God as this distant force that says, hey, you're really messing this up. You are royally messing up, and I am angry with you, and wrath is coming. Most of us perceive God in that way. I'm not perfect, he is, and I deserve his wrath. But when Jesus Christ, the fullness of divinity, becomes a man, the incarnate son of God, takes on human flesh, that says something radical, right? It says that God cares, not just from a distance, but he's involved, he's engaged. What does Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, mean? It means God with us. That is a powerful expression of good news. God is with us. So the first pillar of the gospel is what? The coming of Christ. The coming of Christ. Now we'll go to the second pillar of the gospel is the life of Christ. The life of Christ. How he lived his life. The Acts 2 sermon goes on to say this. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So the preacher Peter is saying, not only did Jesus come, but look at how he lived his life. He lived his life in love. He lived his life in selfless service. He lived his life performing miracles that only God can perform. So how do we know that Jesus is from God? Look at his life. Look at his miracles. And he did this in public. He didn't do it in private. He did it in public for all to see and experience and to write about it in God's word. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He calmed the storms. He fed 5,000 out of nothing. He raised people from the dead. Where does that power come from? It comes from God himself. So the first pillar of the gospel is the coming of Christ. The second pillar of the gospel is the life of Christ. How he lived proved who he was. Third pillar of the gospel is the death of Christ. The death of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. Acts 2.23, the sermon goes on to say this. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and with foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Why was the cross so important? 
Why is the cross the main symbol of the Christian church? Is because the cross itself demonstrates the full love of God. The cross demonstrates the love of God. On the cross, Jesus received the full suffering of the very creation that he made. He received the full suffering of the world upon himself. That's an act of love. He received our sin upon himself. Everything you or I have ever done or will ever do wrong was placed upon the body of Christ and he took the full penalty of that sin upon himself. That's why the cross is so important. He took sin upon himself to forgive sin, to pay the penalty of sin in full. Colossians 2 says he forgave our sin having nailed it to the cross. So, so far the three pillars of the gospel are what? The coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ. And fourth, I bet you'll get it, the resurrection of Christ. Good job. Nicely done. The resurrection of Christ. The Acts 2 sermon goes on to say this, that God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we would be most pitied. Why? Because all you would have is God himself taking on human flesh, suffering and dying for the sins of the world, and then remaining in that suffering and remaining in death and remaining in sin. There is no victory without the resurrection. When Jesus walked out of that grave on the third day, he took suffering into peace. He took sin into forgiveness, and he took death into life. So how, how do we know that there will be peace ahead? Because of the resurrection. How do we know that our sin will not be held against us forever because of the resurrection? How do we know that we won't be swallowed up in eternal blackness of death because of the resurrection? The resurrection proves verifiably that there is victory in Christ. And that resurrection was not done in secret. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day after his crucifixion, and then he lived in the area for 40 days. He spent 40 days teaching his disciples, equipping his disciples, eating with his disciples from the southern tip of Jerusalem to the northern tip of Galilee, 40 days living with his disciples, at one point uh, meeting with over 500 of his followers, having raised from the dead. This is, this, is, this is a verifiable truth, verifiable news that Jesus rose again from the dead. So the four pillars of the gospel so far, the coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Okay, you guys are weak so far. Weak. Last service, they just killed it. Okay, so we're going to do this. You ready? Speak. The coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Very, very good. All right. The fifth pillar of the gospel is the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Christ. Now, uh, here in the West, we don't spend a lot of time on the ascension. This is when Jesus um, uh, ascended to be with his Father. Now, to us, it's, it's kind of a side note almost, but to Eastern culture, this is a big, big deal. Uh, in the Eastern culture, when an army would uh, have a victory in another country, let's say the Romans defeated some Germanic tribe, they would take captives and they would take wealth from that Germanic tribe they would have a big parade in the capital city of Rome. Huge parade. They'd show off the slaves, they'd show off the wealth, and then at the very end, the general himself would be at the tail end of the parade and the whole city would lavish praise upon this general. 
and he would be crowned. He'd have a victory, you know, those uh, thingies, those uh, Roman thingies. You know what they're called? Thingies. And so they, they, they'd put that thingy on him. And so they'd crown him at the end of the victory. And so from the Eastern point of view, this was the ascension of Jesus. It was the parade that started on earth and ended at the right hand of God. That's a big deal in the East. And so when we have a pillar of the gospel, we can't exclude that. That is when Jesus was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. The ascension of Christ is when he sits on the throne over all creation, over all things in heaven and earth. The ascension is a big deal. The sermon in Acts uh, highlights it. Acts 2.32, God raised this Jesus to life as we are all a witness to. Um, he was exalted to the right hand of God. That ascension is the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God. Can you get the five? Say them out loud. The coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. The sixth pillar of the gospel, and one we're fairly familiar with around here, is the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ. This is our mission statement here at Rancho. Thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is the ministry of Christ that still takes place today. The ministry of Jesus is still taking place today, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so the Acts chapter 2 sermon details this. Acts 2.33. Now Christ is exalted to the right hand of God, the ascension. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. Third person of the Trinity pours out the Holy Spirit to us. All of us who believe have the Spirit of God. The full power and presence of God is in us and binds us together as a family of faith. Whatever we do to advance the cause of Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we celebrate what we celebrate every week here at Rancho. We celebrated the Irelands, right, on video, and they're advancing the cause of Christ in Ethiopia. We're celebrating the farm. We're advancing the cause of Christ locally through the farm. Wherever we love other people, serve other people, whenever we sacrifice in the generosity of time or treasure, whenever we get involved in the things of God, loving one another, forgiving people, um, fostering love and unity in our home, love and unity in our community, love and unity among the races, love and unity here as a church. Whenever we do those things, we are advancing the cause of Christ by his spirit. It's a sixth pillar of the gospel. The gospel is not just a history lesson of 2,000 years ago. It's what Christ is doing right now through us. And it is powerful and it is exciting. And I'm telling you, the gospel, the gut spell, the good news is advancing on the earth like never before. The cause of Christ is flooding our world in powerful ways. Not only are more and more people hearing about the gospel of Christ and receiving the gospel of Christ, particularly in China and the global south, but the love of Jesus Christ is becoming increasingly the culture of the world. I'm going to say that again, and you may not believe me, but that's your issue. The love of Christ is increasingly becoming the culture of the world. When we are having discussions, global discussions about Islam and terrorism and hate and racism, whenever we're having this discussion, we are all pointing towards a world of love. Whenever we are fighting poverty by generosity, by even you know, governmental budgets and we want to help people, all of that stuff is a culture of love. Whenever we exalt, whether it's in church or in society, whenever we exalt selfless, sacrificial service, including days like Memorial Day, that's all a culture of love. Our entire planet is increasingly becoming a culture of love and service. 
a ton by followers of Christ, but a ton because the culture of Christ is advancing on the earth, and there are people out there who are advancing the cause of Christ who don't even know it's the cause of Christ yet. They will believe at some point, but at this point, a lot of people are embracing a culture of sacrificial love before they even know that that came first from Christ. This is an exciting convergence that is happening, a convergence of the culture of love. That is the cause of Christ advancing on earth. All right, we have to do a review. See if you can get six. You ready? The coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the cause of Christ. You're doing really well. All right, seventh and finally, the victory of Christ. This is the ultimate victory of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 34 says this. God the Father says to his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In other words, there will come a time where this world will become exactly as it's supposed to be, where all the enemies that stand against Jesus Christ will be put in their proper place at the feet of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says, at some point, all things in heaven and on earth will be under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. All things in heaven and earth under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ. This world will one day be exactly as it should be. Now, we could call that heaven if we would like. The only reason why I'm a little reluctant to, to use the word heaven is because we, the, the religious community thinks heaven is, is to escape the world to go someplace else, a cloudy, floaty neverland. That is not the, what the cause of Christ is heading towards. Revelation 11:15 says, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of heaven. This world matters. God loves this world. God will restore this world. This world will be exactly as he designed. And that day will be the day, right? The capital D day. It is the second coming. It is the day of resurrection. It is when all things are as they are supposed to be. That's our eternal state. That's us living in perfect unity with each other. All tribes, all tongues, all nations living in perfect unity. All tribes, all tongues, and nations living in perfect unity with Christ as the center. That day is coming. Might be a, a ways out yet. But that day is coming. It is the ultimate victory of Christ. All things at the foot of Jesus. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he said this in Matthew 24, 14. He says, this good news, this gospel, euangelion, this good news of the kingdom, an advancing kingdom on earth, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end of the old age, where there's a lot of hurt and suffering and injustice and pain and evil, that day will come when that old kingdom comes to an end and a brand new kingdom, an eternal kingdom of paradise and unity and love begins on the earth. Those are the seven pillars of the gospel. Can we do all seven? All right, let's do it. Ready? The coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the cause of Christ, and the victory of Christ. Hey, good news. Give yourselves a, uh, a round of applause there. That is awesome. Do you remember what news is? News is information that people need to make rational decisions about their life. Now, that kind of, sounds kind of stale, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, what we're about is presenting to the world this good news, those seven pillars. And people can choose to believe it as truth or they can call it fake news, or they can call it whatever they want to, right? But we're presenting it as hard news, it's real. We're presenting it as good news, it's real. 
And it is information the world needs to base their whole life upon. Because if we receive this good news and say, yep, that is true, I believe this. I believe that I'm loved by God. I believe, that Jesus, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. I believe that he died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I believe he rose from the dead to give me eternal life and to give the whole world eternal life. I believe that the cause of Christ is advancing today from the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I believe that one day the cause of Christ will be advanced to the point where it will all culminate in this beautiful day where Christ returns as king and we all receive our glorified bodies and live in paradise forever and ever. I choose to believe that, and I choose to base my entire life upon that. And what does that mean for me and my family? It means that we know unconditional love, and so we can love unconditionally. That's the whole journey of our lives. We don't do it perfectly, but we're walking that road together. That's the journey of, uh, uh, from our church. We are embracing this information that God says we need to build our lives upon, and we say, yes, that's true. And because of that, we have a whole new life. And this life is called a born-again life, a reborn life. We're gonna close with this, John 1.10. To all who received Christ and the news about Christ, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Maybe some of you here today thinking you were coming to a religious service and perhaps it looks and feels a little bit like a religious service, but you now know it's not. We are simply presenting good news, information that we just need to know that radically changes lives. And we presented that through music and we presented that through a message. And maybe some of you here today are saying, you know what, I, I just need to get on board with that. That's true, I believe that. And I'm not gonna be the son groveling before the father, what can I do to be a slave? That is religion and that's gross. Hear the word from the father to you, the news the father declares to you. You are his perfect son. You're his perfect daughter, and he embraces you without condition, and he celebrates that you've received this news that came through Jesus Christ, that you are loved and forgiven and given eternal life. I'm gonna close in prayer, and as I do, some of you just might receive this good news and believe this good news through prayer, and if you do today, you have a whole new reborn life ahead of you. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this good news. Thank you that... Jesus did not come to institute a new religion, but he came to reveal good news. He came to reveal that he comes from the Father. He's the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity, and he lived a life to prove that, a life of selfless service and love, a life of miracles that accredit who he is. Giving his life on a cross to take the suffering and sin of the world upon himself and rising again from the dead in victory. Victory over suffering, victory over sin, and victory even over death itself. We believe that he ascended in victory, crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, the right hand of the Father, and through his spirit, the cause of Christ is advancing in all the earth even now as we speak, even this very morning as the good news is shared. And there will come a day of victory where the kingdom of the earth becomes the kingdom of heaven. So we look forward with hope, an eternal hope. We receive that today. Some receive it anew, some receive it for the first time. But God, receiving that news, believing that news brings new and eternal life, a life that is receiving unconditional love from God our Father and a lifetime dedicated to giving unconditional love to others. Thank you for your grace through Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. <laughs> 